I'm going to draw your attention back to the epistle of James. That's the letter uh, written under the authorship of somebody who's calling themselves James. It's a letter that speaks to us about wisdom and character. It appeals to us to be wise in God's name. Who among you, it asks, has wisdom and understanding? It's kind of a rhetorical question. I think the writer's assuming that at least deep down inside, we're all going to want to raise our hands, right? Because after all, who doesn't want to be thought of or think of ourselves as wise? And didn't Jesus himself advise the disciples to be as wise as serpents and at the same time as innocent as doves? So yeah, we want to be wise. We want to be thought of as wise. And so James says... Well, we will know if you are wise by your good life because your actions will be done with the kind of gentleness that comes from wisdom. So I looked up wisdom in Wikipedia because, you know, where else do wise people look up things? And it says that wisdom is the ability to contemplate and act using knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense, and insight. But it says wisdom is also associated with attributes like unbiased judgment, compassion, experiential knowledge, transcendence and values like ethics and benevolence. So wisdom is not to be confused with intelligence or education. We can have a very capable brain and we can acquire all sorts of knowledge and not be wise. We have all known very well-educated and smart people who are devious, pompous, self-serving, who like to stir up trouble. They may be smart, James says, but they are not wise. But if you have bitter envy, he writes, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. In other words, don't think for a second you're wise. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, spiritual, devilish, for where there is envy and self-ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But, he says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. Wisdom is born of silence. Wisdom comes from deep listening. In the words of Mickey Anders, wisdom is the informed, inspired, yet humble movement of God's spirit and insight within the human heart and mind. Owls, he points out, are our classic symbol of wisdom, right? The wise old owl. Why? I don't know. Maybe he says it's their quiet ways. Maybe it's their wide eyed sort of taking it all in stare, or the fact that they can turn their heads 180 degrees so that they keep a sharp lookout behind as well as in front 
Maybe that's what gives them their reputation for wisdom. But we say owls are wise. Crows and ravens, on the other hand, are known to be very smart. Crows and ravens do not lack for intelligence. They can problem solve and even use little tools and things to accomplish their objectives. They can be taught to talk. However, he says crows and ravens are compulsive collectors. They fill their nests with odd bits of shiny metal, gleaming buttons, bright string, anything glitzy and gaudy that catches their eye is dragged home. Crows and ravens are not wise. James says Christians are to embody wisdom, that is, we're to be the owls of the world. Maybe a little more quiet, a little more watchful, a little less prone to collecting anything that glitters and catches our eye. And there's a paradox in the world. There's this world that wants more and more information and yet seems to possess less and less wisdom, right? Too many of us have become crows. The acquisitive way leads to squabbles and long battles. We start wanting things and, and stuff. Or we just want an easier path for our lives and our own comforts and just our own way in life. Crows will spend the better part of a day pursuing another member of the flock who has picked up an especially peeling piece of junk. Christian owls, though, James remind us, are called not to wage war, but to wage wisdom. Waging wisdom takes on an entirely different type of armature than we're used to wearing. James says we are to outfit ourselves with purity, peace, gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, and sincerity. And we might say, well, since when do those get you anywhere? In 1996, a young high school student, 17 years old, out in Fremont, California, made national news. She did this remarkable thing. Maybe others have done it since then, but she achieved a perfect score of 800 on the ACT. That's the Scholastic Aptitude, I mean the SAT, the Scholastic Aptitude Test. And at a perfect 8,000 on the University of California's Acceptance Index, which was also something that hadn't been done. But what was interesting in the news story about the young woman was there was a little interview and an exchange with her uh, and a reporter, and he asked her, what is the meaning of life? And she said, I have no idea. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. We often associate wisdom with age. We portray sages, especially in the movies and in books and whatnot, with uh, wizened, wrinkled faces and sharp, intelligent eyes. Think Yoda or Gandalf or the professor that was in charge of, uh, of Hogwarts in, in um, Harry Potter. They're, they're these wonderful, either wizard-like or elfin-like creatures who have all the wisdom of the ages written into their faces, and they don't speak much. And it's true that as we grow older, we often do learn to bite our tongues a little more. 
Maybe we share our opinions a little less readily than when we were younger. Perhaps we get a little less impulsive and more patient with the passing of time. Maybe, but age is no guarantee of wisdom. And there are children, have you not met a few, who seem as wise and old as the hills. We say there's a very old soul in that one. Television and the internet are full of shows and blogs and commentaries where seemingly smart people sit around bombastically commenting on all the events of their day and the, their speech is haughty and dripping with judgment and their goal is to stir up dissension because, well, drama sells. But James tells us those who teach folly will inevitably be revealed by their ability to foster quarreling, gossip, slander, and jealousy. And he says, this is not the wisdom that comes from God. Anders points out the wisdom the Bible speaks about doesn't focus on how much we know, but on what kind of person we are. In other words, there's no wisdom without character. And character, James says, shows itself in action, in what we do and in how we do it. We can spout off all sorts of theories and ideas, but if we have wisdom, James says, that's where the, the rubber meets the road. Wisdom is real life. Wisdom is practical. Wisdom is born out and can be seen and evidenced in the goodness of the lives of those who possess it. He says, wisdom yields the fruits of righteousness. He says, you can talk about being wise, smart, powerful, but unless your life bears witness to good works, you're not all that smart. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his deeds are done in gentleness and wisdom. Samuel Southard looked through the scriptures, and, you know, people always sell if they can come up with four easy things to remember or six or seven or whatever. He has four. Four things that would help you to recognize the wise ones, the wisdom keepers among us. The first is the ability to connect with people who are hurting and to strengthen them in word and deed. Compassion empathy, the ability to connect, to lift up, that it's one's awareness of God's abiding presence even in the midst of affliction. Another is the ability to engage in edifying conversation with companions and friends to build up maturity and faith. It doesn't mean you have to preach a great sermon or that you have to have all the scriptures memorized or teach a Sunday school class it's the joy of encouragement, but it's encouragement based in faith. The next is an attitude of submission and humility, first towards God and then towards other people. A wisdom keeper knows how to lay aside defensiveness and be vulnerable for the sake of the other. It recognizes imperfections in others, but mainly it's painfully honest about imperfections in the self. And finally, 
the competent teacher of wisdom will be recognized by a dependence on mutual instruction. The wise are the ones who are willing to learn from and listen to the experience of others. In Psalm 111, it is written, the fear of Yahweh, that's God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't mean fright. It means awe and respect. It's when you put God where God belongs and look up to God, that is the beginning of wisdom because it puts us a little bit lower. It recognizes that we're not, in fact, in charge. True wisdom comes from above. It comes with purity and peacefulness and reasonableness and mercy and good works and impartiality and no hypocrisy. It's the kind of wisdom Jesus had. In fact, Paul once said in a sentence, but to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. And when we get wisdom from above, we will become like Christ. Therefore, instead of listening so much to the voices of the world or exercising our own so much, those who would be wise could spend more time in silence, listening and seeking the spirit and the grace and the gentleness and the guidance of God. Therefore, James says, if you, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to you. Such is grace. Amen. Mm-hmm.